Welcome to the podcast, Becoming Disciplined, where we acknowledge that self-discipline is the true starting point for all great achievements. Today our guest is Jason Lynette, a disciplined man who is also an expert in the field of hypnosis. This is an interesting lesson though, because anyone who's looking to get better at something the acknowledgement that here's something that's a current challenge for them and the intention to do better at it already builds in the belief systems that they have the capability to be world-class at that. Today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview Jason Lynette. Uh, Jason Lynette is a hypnotic influence expert who helps entrepreneurs and business owners to close more premium sales. As a certified professional hypnotist, Jason has dedicated nearly two decades to helping his clients harness the science of positive persuasion strategies to quickly and easily rewrite negative thought patterns. He reveals the secrets of hypnotic communication and shares specific business influence systems to supercharge business growth. This isn't about tricking or manipulating people. It's about helping your prospects to ethically sell themselves into your products or services. Jason is the host of the Hypnotic Language Hacks podcast. His TED Talk, Rethinking Rapport, is available on YouTube. He is the best-selling author of Work Smart Business, a five-star rated book on Amazon's top 1,000 uh, neuro-linguistic programming list. And while it's great to operate a million-dollar brand, most importantly, Jason is proud to do so while being at home each night with his wife and children. That is Jason Lynette. Amen. <laughs> welcome, Jason. Welcome, welcome. So good to be here, Tony. Good to see you again. All right. Now, for our listeners, I want you. All, I want all of our listeners to know that uh, even though we're just getting started on on becoming disciplined. I'm going to make a personal policy that I'm not going to just let anybody on the show. Um, I want to invite people that I know for a fact are disciplined or highly disciplined in one of the following areas, spirituality, mental, physical, emotional, uh, slash relationships, finance, calendar or time management, home organization or data organization. And for our listeners, I have personally witnessed a high level of discipline in a number of areas with Jason. He might be too humble to admit it, but we will cir circle back to those later. But be before we talk about the issue of discipline, let's try to understand context. Context is important for everything. Context is everything. Where did you grow up, Jason? So I'm originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia. I uh, grew up there and just to walk through the uh, geography here, eventually then moved to around Williamsburg, Virginia then from there to Baltimore, Maryland, and now I'm sitting here in Springfield, Virginia. So um, all basically in the same five-hour radius, it turns out. Awesome. The seven cities. I love, I love that area. I've been treated very well in the seven cities. Um, I used to do poetry, uh, spoken word poetry, and every time I would go to the seven cities, I would win, and anytime I go anywhere else, it didn't fare so well. So I love the seven <laughs> cities. Uh, what kind of family did you grow up in, traditional or unconventional? I would say I got to go unconventional that, uh, and this is part of my backstory that I grew up in a family where everybody was an entrepreneur. Everybody was their own self-made business person. So there's something to be said about growing up in an environment where that was what was presented. That was what was around you. And that was normal. So like, even as a kid, even into the teenage years, 
I did a magic for reading show at Bush Gardens Williamsburg at one point. Briefly, I worked as a professional magician and somehow I was in a family where that wasn't weird because wow. uh, my yeah. dad was the one that started to take photos as, as a hobby sure. and his boss didn't like that he was getting a side job and it became the moment of you got to choose and oh. he walked out wow. and launched my f- mother and father they uh, knocked off back of uh, part of the back of the house <laughs> the photography studio was built on the back of the house so growing up in a world where the business was that side of the home and seeing people who, if they wanted to make something happen, they went after that. Mm-hmm. So this place of possibility, uh, this place of, if you want to make it happen, you've got to be the one to actually go after it. Wow. That's powerful. Now, who was the most disciplined person in your early childhood? I would say it kind of becomes a bit of a split answer here because I can't quite pin it to one specific person. I had a hobby. I hinted at this earlier. I had a hobby of sleight of hand magic as a kid. I can think back to like even in kindergarten, reading books and just from the images, figuring out how to do it. And for anyone who's ever dabbled in that, you would practice something for hundreds of hours so that then it would be invisible. Mm. (laughs) And it's where I would spend time with different people. Some would come through and do a lecture. There was actually a magic shop in Virginia Beach at the time. There was one over in Norfolk, Virginia. And again, to be around people who, this is where I forget whose quote this is, but the line was that this is why magicians hate jugglers, which I never did. I thought jugglers were cool. With a juggler, you know right away whether they're good or not. Right, right, right. If the balls or the clubs hit the ground, you know they're not good. (laughs) If it's a magician, you can't quite tell if it's the apparatus, the prop that's making the magic happen or if it's truly pure sleight of hand. Mm. So the stuff that I was looking at would be that I could pick up coins, I could pick up cards and just do something near miraculous with that. So by hanging out with that community, and also I'd say the combination of that and having self-made business people as parents, it drilled in this discipline. See how I folded that in there? (laughs) Drilled in this discipline that this is what it came into as a mindset now. Nothing is worth doing unless you're going to go full out. Awesome. There's no kind of, there's no sort of, it's either all in or not. Wow. There's one magician that I, uh, that I really admire for his discipline, but I want to ask you as someone who used to be a magi- magician, who is someone that impresses the magicians? Who is someone where, like, the, you know, we who are the lay people, we, you know, we don't really know, but you who've had that experience of, you know, car, you know, the, doing all of those tricks. Who is, who is a magician that really impresses you? This is where I have to be cautious, not that it's revealing any trade secrets, that it's instead we're going to go so deeply obscure that like maybe one person who might listen to this will go, oh yeah, him. Um, and actually it's someone who I didn't ever have any contact with, but I loved the story. Mm-hmm. And I may be paraphrasing elements because this is a retelling of a retelling of someone else's story that there's a guy by the name of Darren Brown and he's a household celebrity name over in the UK. He's done a little bit over here in the U S he's got a Netflix special or two, but not like mainstream as he is over there. There's an amazing story to this though, which was that another guy by the name of Andy Nyman is doing a private party and a BBC producer sees what Andy is doing and goes, I can make the phone calls. And you have a show. Do you want it? 
because he was that impressed. And Andy immediately goes, I would love it. However, I've got a friend who I think would be a better fit. Let me produce. My friend is brilliant in his own right, yet I think he's the face for this project more so than me. And I, I love that story. And if it's slightly paraphrased, I'm going to hold on to my version because it sounds even more epic. Uh, but it's that ability to go. And I love this premise that the more we're all successful, the more we're all successful. Even as I talk about language patterns for business, if we can shift our marketing message to not be here's what I have to sell you, but instead join me in this movement and look what we can do together. Wow. Everyone else is selling something. Now you're giving them an invitation to join something bigger than the two of you. And I really hope that's the exact telling of the story of Andy and Darren, because it's this place of recognizing, yes, I can do that. However, here's what we can do even better. And the man's now gone on to do hundreds of television specials and toured the world. And clearly it's working for them. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Now, as a child, did you play sports? Okay, so let's tell the story in the best way. At six years old, I was so bad at soccer that my only goal was to kick the ball. <laughs> and uh, if I, you know, forget assisting, forget scoring a goal. If I kick the ball, I was excited, um, right. which is where at seven years old, I was then taking piano lessons. Okay. Okay. Said. So I, I think this is an interesting lesson, though, because anyone who's looking to get better at something, Absolutely. the acknowledgement that here's something that's a current challenge for them and the intention to do better at it already builds in the belief systems that they have the capability to be world-class at that. Mm -hmm. So really for me, the lack of skill at soccer, um, teenage years, baseball kind of showed up and got into that to some effect, but really what was originally piano was kind of what built the dexterity to get into the magic. So that was the hobby. You know, to even fast forward the story, it's something that I'm not too involved with anymore because it was out of the frustration that no matter how you frame it, a magic trick is based upon a lie. Mm. And I didn't like that. It was also based upon exposition. Here I have an ordinary pair of scissors, says no one ever. Mm. <laughs> right, 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 right. So when I first encountered hypnosis, suddenly all the communication was out in the open. Everything was transparent. And I could learn how it was working, why it was working, and the science to back it up. When instead it was the hiding the card so you don't know I had it in my hand. Awesome. Um, saying you can clearly see my hands are empty, yet through sleight of hand, I was hiding a coin behind my hand. Yeah. So suddenly here was something that was pure, yet I, I, I've learned too many people are quick to dismiss where they came from. And I think that's a major fault. So this is where even working with a personal client, I've held on to the language that, you know, the process isn't magic yet the results can be magical as a transition to that. So maybe it was a gift that I, uh, to say it politely, sucked at sports. <laughs> and even to this day, I make the whole idea of watching it on television. I'm like, if, if, let's bring the kids out in the field and kick around a soccer ball. I can do that. But I'm the one, um, I've worked with professional golfers at times to kind of you know eliminate distractions. And they would sometimes ask me, well, how often do you play? And I'm completely honest to go, if I'm doing putt-putt with my kids who are now seven and nine, I'm the one insisting we don't keep score because they're beating me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You're standing over the golf ball. How do you feel? Anxious. Right. That's what I can help you with. Do you right. need tips on your swing? You need to call someone else for that. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. 
Now, um, how were you academically? A lot of, you know, because uh, when I hear from a lot of entrepreneurial families, it's kind of hard to keep focused academically because, the you know, the money or the business can sometimes distract from that. How, how did that work out for you? I have to give a little filter to this before I answer, which is that I look at the mindset, you know, one school of thought says everything happens for a reason. I would say everything is an asset and it's a matter of how you put it to use. So part of the story is that, and I, I have no negative feelings around any of this to this day. So that's why I give a bit of a disclaimer to this. Uh, parents were rather busy with the business. And on a weekend, there were times I was the right age where it was legal, or I had a babysitter, uh, where I was the one kind of home by myself. Sure. Or here were moments where, to say it politely, I had a brother that found a lot of ways to get into trouble, and that gathered a little bit more attention. So somewhere inside of me that kind of triggered this overachiever mindset. And I, I cracked the joke last year to a student of mine who goes, oh, I didn't know you had a brother. Which I go, well, he kind of messed up a bunch as a kid growing up and got more attention. So I kind of became an overachiever, which was a little frustration, frustrating then. But man, is it working for me now? <laughs> <laughs> so everything's an asset. So I was doing exceptionally well in school. Uh, I was taking, you know, leadership roles. Um, I was a bit of a theater kid. Uh, more so interested in behind-the-scenes tech. I actually worked a few years in professional theater, theatrical stage management. I wizard behind the curtain calling cues and making it all work. So really the only hiccup in this journey was, you know, advanced placement classes, near straight A's. Um, when I was 17, if you get mono and pneumonia at the same time, they just kind of hang out together. So like my junior year of high school, I missed nearly half of the school year. And um, true story, which I cannot fully verify, the county the next year, Virginia Beach City Schools, had a new policy that no matter how many days of school you miss, if you miss this many, for whatever reason, you have to repeat the year. I bet my name was on that bill because mm -hmm. I had teachers who were reaching out. One, my, my history teacher at the time, who I'm now friends with online, was funny because he goes, I'm a little concerned about something, Jason. Like what? Well, I've been sending you the work home. Your parents have been picking it up and you do come to school sometimes, but there were days with the chronic fatigue and the mono that I was like sleeping 16, 17 hours a day, which this is all cleared many years ago now. Uh, but he's going, you're either an amazing student or I'm a crappy teacher. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you mean? He goes, you have the highest grade in the class. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so which was amazing. And we, he, it was funny because he goes, I know the college you're trying to go to. They're not too strict. They are now. Uh, he goes, could I give you a B plus? He actually haggled with me. I'm like, yeah, sure. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at, again, how back to the magic, I'd say the discipline came in of how this is a theme I know we're going to get into with becoming disciplined. There's no such thing as finding the time. There's making the time. Mm. And especially how we balance out friends and relationships and a hobby off to the side of nothing in life is worth doing unless we go full out. So making that happen and buckling down and doing that. You know, along the way, there were a few classes in college that I got a C in, and which I would say I earned that C with everything I had. Uh. <laughs> now, uh, one of the things we're going to cover and, and what I've studied for just about almost all disciplined people that they are good sleepers and sleep is like a foundation of sound discipline. 
And the question I have for you is, are you a good sleeper? And if you are, when and where did you develop these current sleep habits? I think I have to tell a story first, which was that uh, when my daughter was born, she was born in 2011. And there's a moment where I gave the comment that, oh yeah, Claire is an amazing sleeper. She sleeps through the night. And my wife goes, you sleep through the night. (laughs) (laughs) So I I would say, and I can talk about this from a few other perspectives too. uh, Generally, I'm an extremely good sleeper. Uh, I would say that maybe ever since like preschool, napping has not been a skill of mine. Um, So that's something that's never popped in there. I live by the catchphrase. The disclaimer is this is rare, Uh, yet it's that it's only diagnosable if it doesn't work for you. Mm -hmm. So I will openly call out, like, for example, I've done a podcast of my own, one of them for about seven years running now, and a new one, Hypnotic Language Hacks, just came out a couple of weeks ago, and we launched with like 10 episodes. And there were some times in the early production of building that where maybe the dog makes a noise, maybe one of the kids gets up and it's two in the morning and I get up, take care of whatever needs taken care of. And I would typically get back in bed and just fall right back to sleep. But there were some moments because the production mind was on to go, oh, here's an idea for an episode. And suddenly I'd be downstairs typing away and crafting something and building something to which somehow becoming the expert on their sleep patterns to know, all right, I'm probably going to be going to bed a little earlier tonight. Um, I'll be aware of if I need to modify exercise. I'd say that's probably, if anything, only like a once a month occurrence. And it's been a while uh, since that. But for the most part, I I tend to be someone that kind of lives by a bit of a routine. Um, I say I go to bed early. My wife says I lay out at 10 p.m. (laughs) I've trained myself to become the ultimate morning person that I typically would get up uh, five in the morning. Uh, Pre-pandemic, I'd be off at a gym. Uh, I got into weightlifting about seven, eight years ago to really to rehab a bad back. This is the origin story of that. Mm. Um, As things started to get slightly better, I was going back to the gym, but I was concerned that, oh, oh, the trash hasn't been thrown out in three days. Oh, there's no soap in the men's restroom. Yeah, I'm going to buy some free weights and do this at home now which lets me sleep in a little bit later. Yet I tend to be one that uh, in bed asleep by 10 o'clock, alarm is typically going off at six, but these days I'm generally waking up a little bit before that. It's time for Connie's Golden Nugget. I, I would give a bigger picture perspective to your audience out there to say that if you treat everything as if it were a muscle, you then start to figure out how to gamify the system and program your own strategies and behaviors. So I said, I trained myself to become a morning person. That when I opened up my business officially, it was the revelation that the old lifestyle of, yeah, I'm kind of a zombie until noon, that wasn't going to work. So if I wanted to get things done, especially now, I love my kids, I love my wife, but that time between 6 and 8 a.m., that's golden time. That's where I get some of my best writing done, some of my best editing done, some of my best you know, note-taking done. I'm a bit of a uh, uh, programming wizard in terms of Outlook, where you might get email responses from me throughout the day, but that's because I don't want you thinking that I actually responded to you at 6.05 a.m. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you can go in and set it to go, oh, deliver at noon. I'm like, yeah, let me make it look like I'm working normal hours. Uh, <laughs> also, I have uh, an international staff 
with my business, a website designer, the other side of the world. Some of these people, I crack the joke, they outsource themselves. I had one person I hired when she lived in Alexandria. She calls up one day to go, um, hey, it's expensive here and I miss my family. I'm moving back to the Philippines. You can pay me less now too. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so that's often time where the 24-hour work style that we can now pull off because of outsourced abilities, it's in the morning and I'm watching the video edits that someone on my team has done for me. So back to your simple question, sleep, recognize that it's something that we can condition. I would say if there's anyone out there who has a problem sleeping, recognize that most likely the sleep is not the problem. It's what's going through your mind. So if you find any simple mechanism, even if it's literally to write down the idea you've got stuck in your head, because I'm hosting an event next week and we have to book an extra hotel room for it. And at 12.05 in the morning, Kim at the hotel isn't gonna read that email anyway. So I give myself the right to open up the phone, type a quick note to myself, or even just email it to myself. And figuratively and almost literally, I've taken the troubling thought out of my brain, put it somewhere else where I'm going to deal with it later. Mm, okay, that's powerful. Now, um, let me brag on you as well. You have, of all the people that I've done uh, schedules with and meetings with, even, even you know, I've worked with general officers and others, you probably have the best calendar system and the, best, <laughs> the most organized way of responding and RSVPing with either customers or other people you deal with. How long, you know, how did you, how did you learn about that and how did you develop that and how long has that been part of your business? Well, let me rewind back that I mentioned working in theater. So I wasn't acting, I wasn't directing, I wasn't designing, I was stage management, production management. This was everything from regional theater to political fundraisers, I'm near the DC area, uh, to product corporate launches. So, and in that world, everything is dictated by the clock. Mm. And especially in professional theater as the stage manager, my job was to keep everything running on schedule. I've got this walkie-talkie for the house management who's managing the audience coming in and having their seat. I've got this walkie-talkie to the backstage crew. I've got this headset system to my backstage assistants. And it's that configuration. And still, at time, the show went live. And even more importantly, the fact would be that we would often do the same show, eight shows a week, upwards of eight to 15 weeks at times in regional theater. And the job as the stage manager was to maintain the professionalism and the integrity of the production, whether it was the first run of the show or the last one of 64 different productions. So that was a world where um, it all had to be dictated by the clock. And even better, that's where I really learned the importance of creating systems. Because there'd even be the moment, this was the extreme detail, for everything that happens on stage, I had a notation of that either in what we call the prompt book, which is the script with all the cues written in there, or in a Microsoft Excel document, which kind of built this almost, if I may say, rain man aspect of attention to detail about, hey, we can't find the flask that we need in act two. Okay, well, Larry carried that off the set and Larry typically uh, exits the stage through the uh, crossway underneath on the third floor. He probably went to the bathroom. Hey, Eric, can you send someone down to the bathroom on the third floor? I bet it's perched up on the back of one of the urinals. Right, right. And right. suddenly they go down and of course, that's exactly where it was because he had done that 15 other times that month. Um, 
you see how I burned out of that world. So the whole mindset of building systems, something clicked when I forget the exact time frame, but one of the first, you know, I, I read the standard business books, you know, Think and Grow Rich and the E-Myth Revisited, but it was Tim Ferriss' four-hour work week, where I learned the premise of ask yourself with everything that you're doing, how do I do this once? How do I do it for the last time? So let's call out a simple example that, you know, you and I've met before and you invited me to be on here. And I responded, I would love to be on. If you've got a calendar, you can schedule with me or here's a calendar link that I've made, which quite simply, I would have people, I do about 15 to 20 podcast appearances a month that fills people into my training events. That's what brings in my clientele. That's what brings people into my online programs. So putting the message out there, I bring that up because here's the person, most of them had their own calendar system. And if they didn't, well, here's a simple one that I've made. You can just use my calendar. And as we did, we'll just change out the video link. The, the other side of this too is actually a bit of a personal productivity hack. Let me go bigger picture on this first. For anyone out there in business, I would say even in terms of personal health, the greatest danger you can find yourself inside of is comfort. Mm. So easy to keep doing the exact same thing. Mm. So I had a time frame from like 2009 to maybe 2012 where the shape of my business was seeing like 25 private clients a week. Yet I knew there was a specific approach that made what I did different. And that's why I wanted to become an instructor. That's why I wanted to train others. Well, in order to make that transition, I had to be willing to turn off some, not all, but some of what was working to build something that would have a greater impact in the future. The way that as I filmed, I, I've done a training for the last six years that I filmed as a new online course called Business Influence Systems. And the only reason I now have those 50 hours of content and online video is because I blocked off my calendar and set the time, made the time to film it. So it's where consistently I am going into my own calendar and I am blocking off time. And this is where, this is the big shift that I went through. This is only a couple of years ago now that I started to use automated calendar systems. So like a person who's a client, I now send you the calendar link. This way you see what I've made available and you schedule yourself. Here's why. Let's throw out a random number here. Let's say the client is coming in and it's going to be for a thousand dollar service. If I'm the one looking at my calendar and here's that chunk of time that I've blocked off because I know here are two videos I have to film this week. If I'm looking at that time, I start to go inside and make an excuse to go, oh, I could use that money this week. Yeah, I'll just do that later. Right, right. And consistently I would find if I did that, it just wouldn't happen. So it's actually a bit of a personal productivity hack that now I put the booking and the ownership of my time on someone else because I've already gone in and I've paid myself first with my own time, the same way that we're supposed to pay ourselves first with investments. So it's a little bit self-serving in a positive way, yet also it's about creating that system where now I use Calendly, which is free if you only want one calendar entry style or give them, I don't work for them yet. They don't have an affiliate. No, if they did, I'd get a lot from them. Uh, right. For 10 bucks a month, I have probably 16 different calendar variations. Mm. So if it's a student of mine that's got a quick question, I've got a link for like a quick 20 minute call. 
If it's a possible client who wants to talk with me as a consultation, I've got a specific link for that. If I've got a student who wants to sign up for a course and they've got questions, the sales page for that training has a link to that calendar. And then I just look at my calendar in the morning and go, oh, that's what I'm doing today. Right, right, right. On another topic of then, that's, that's all uh, awesome. That is awesome. I think. Can I tell you the real hero of that story? What's the? Uh, there's a genius of a man who one day appeared on television and uh, talked about how we all love a good rotisserie chicken, but you know you have to go to the store and you have to buy it, and it's so expensive. So he came out with this toaster oven-shaped thing that you put the spit through the chicken, you close the door, and you hit the button, and the entire audience yelled it out with Ron Popeil, set it and forget it. Set it and forget it. And I probably quoted that man at least a dozen times in my Work Smart Business book for that reason. <laughs> how do I do this once so then I don't have to do it again? Amen. Well, two golden nuggets I'm going to put in there. One, uh, treat it like a muscle and also set it and forget it. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, on the, on the, on the subject of discipline, um, I'm, whenever I talk to you or engage with you, I'm always very, very careful uh, because I saw one day someone stepped into your presence and they were going to waste your time. <laughs> and, and you, uh, without being rude or nasty yeah. or whatever, you established boundaries very quickly. And it was very clear. It was very clear to me as well that you do not suffer fools gladly, that you do, that, that, that you are very good about establishing boundaries so that people don't take advantage of you. So whenever I deal with you, I'm always very uh, like like <laughs> messing with Jason's time. Okay, so well, I, I'd say the, the the positive word is intentional. Okay, but it's also I love the mindset of organizing your day by mode. Sure. So if I'm, for example, today I'm here chatting with you, and also I was a little strategic in our timing. Because this morning, today's a day where I'm mostly in front of the camera. I'm not seeing anyone in person in real time. So this morning, I had two videos that I knew I had to film, came in, filmed them, sent them off to an editor who's going to make them pretty from there. I was on another program. Here I am with you. And then I've got another one later this afternoon. So when I'm in the mode to get something done, it's to the complete exclusion of everything else that nothing else fits. So let's set the stage. Uh, you and I were meeting in person, and suddenly, uh, to say it politely, here's the solicitor whose business model is showing up unannounced right. and is hoping to make an offer. Right. Absolutely. And as a wise philosopher on the internet once said, ain't nobody got time for that. Right. <laughs> and really, the, the intention was, it wasn't so much about wasting my time. Sure. It was instead the mindset that really, that was your time, Tony. Sure. Absolutely. And from a respectful place, how dare someone take that away from you and from me? So the moment was, and here's the story of this. Uh, I got my start in hypnosis with stage hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Now, it wasn't like the dirty comedy club show. I was doing assembly programs for high schools. Sure. And fun fact, I was doing motivational programs for corporate groups. Sure. Hey, Tony, it was the same show. We just changed the background music. Uh, <laughs> and in that environment, if I had someone on stage with me that it wasn't even a matter of hypnotized or not, it was a matter of non-compliance. They just weren't even following my instructions. It was polite. It was matter of fact. 
but it was respectfully assertive to go for a handshake, remember those, to go for a handshake and say, hey, thank you so much for coming up. I'm going to have you enjoy the program out in the audience. Mm. And it's just a very gentle pull, which is giving the intention of it's time to go. Right. And that's exactly the mode that I went into when suddenly someone came in. And I believe if I remember the timeline of that one right, uh, you got to give the guy credit for persistence. Yes. Uh, because I think the same guy had come in the previous day as I was wrapping up a class. Mm. And in that moment, I said to him, uh, I'm here on their time right now. This is not a good time. Thanks for coming by, but I need you to leave, please. Thank you. Roger. Just well, to the point, me. to the point of, of just clarity. And I think it was Monday that we were meeting. And again, give him credit for persistence shows up again. And I think it was a little bit more honest in that moment ago. I, I do not buy in this format. I wish you the best in what you do. No, I'm, I'm mentioning it as something that's admirable because there's so many people who don't have, they, they allow people to run over them and they don't have good emotional boundaries between, um, you know, they just allow people to steal their time and they, they allow goofy things like that to happen. Well, uh, look at this too, that from, let's put this again on the ownership of someone else though, sure. that I changed up the nature of my local business that I'm sitting in right now where the voicemail, this may be a surprise to some people, the voicemail does say, given the volume of calls that we receive, not all messages can be returned, mm. which is why we've made this website.com, jasonlinette.com forward slash call available for you to go and schedule a specific time. The reason I set that sort of thing in motion years ago was that not everybody who called was at a place of being ready to make a decision. And I was getting too many calls of the, it'd be nice to, or I'm just curious about this. And for those people, here's a video sequence they can watch that further educates them so they can make the decision for themselves. So now the benefit becomes, and there's some cool embedded language inside of this. This is what I teach inside of the business influence program that I'm able to begin the call to go, Hey, Tony, thank you so much for scheduling this time. Is this time still a good match for you? And they say yes, because they scheduled it. And I say, so the way that this obviously works is we'll talk through what your goals are. I'll explain a little bit more of what I do. And then if I'm confident that I can help you out, I'll explain how we can get started. Mm. Sound good? So you, the, you the got beauty that. of that phrasing uh -huh. is that it sets the foundation for communication. Roger. You feel as if you're in the presence of someone who's got their stuff together because now there's a roadmap to the conversation rather than, yeah, what do you want? Right. Can I do that? No. Here's how we're going to do this. We'll talk about your goals. I'll explain what I do. And if I'm confident I can help you, I'll explain how we can get started. The, the trade-off of this, I used to get 30 to 40 calls a week. Mm. By plugging this in, and I've nicknamed it the Velvet Rope Strategy, by plugging this into my business, we might only get two or three calls a day. Sure. But the conversion rate in terms of business is near 100%. Powerful. Spend your time with the people who are already ready to make a decision, create resources to educate everyone else. There's the formula. And that's the uh, Tim Ferriss's four hour uh, work week. That's the 80-20 the rule as well, right? Oh, yeah. Well, again, ask yourself, what are the things that you keep doing that you don't have to keep doing yourself? And one solution is you could hire someone else to handle that for you. Uh, I am okay enough with video editing. Uh, I've got people who do that a lot better than I do. Sure. But then again, I can ask myself, 
here's the basic nuts and bolts of what I explain of my program. Cool. It's an on-demand video now off of that page on the website. Be disciplined. Subscribe now. Awesome. Awesome. Now, most of that, that muscle regarding emotional discipline, you got that from the stage or did you get any of that from your parents being entrepreneurs? Wow. That's a new one. Um, I would say a lot of that came a little bit of everywhere. Now, again, I wasn't the actor. Now, the catch is, and I have to go extremely obscure, have you seen the movie Waiting for Guffman? I have not seen that movie. Are you familiar with it at all? No, I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> but you've seen like This is Spinal Tap and maybe Best in Show, Mighty Wind? Best in Show. I'm okay, yeah. So the premise of those movies, just to call this out, uh, Christopher Guest, who was the six-fingered man in uh, Princess Bride, uh, is an incredible improvisational genius. And they've done all these movies. This is Spinal Tap, Best in Show, Mighty Wind, Waiting for Guffman, a few others along the way, where they just outline a, a movie. And then they unleash incredible comedic performers, everyone from the late, great Fred Willard to Eugene Levy uh, to Catherine O'Hara to all these top people you'd recognize. And then they just film 60 hours of content and edit it down to an 88-minute video movie. <laughs> so in Waiting for Guffman, Eugene Levy uh, has a character who's a dentist who uh, the, the line is, yeah, people ask me if I was the class clown. And no, I wasn't. But I sat next to him and I studied him. Oh. <laughs> and I heard that. It's a, it's a goofy scene in this movie, Waiting for Guffman. But right. it's where I learned that I was the one sitting at a folding table in the rehearsal hall helping to organize the production. You know, a beautiful moment happens on stage. You know, we would do these million dollar scale productions where the stage would begin empty. The stage would open up, a trap door would appear and the set would rise up. Things were flying in. If cues were not called in the right order, you could have literally killed someone with a piece of scenery. Mm. Yet we had cameras, we had safety. It was extremely high tech. Uh, there's so much going on behind the scenes. So sitting in the rehearsal hall though, Part of what I was doing was having to watch the acting process, having to watch the directing process, and even moments where I can think of one specific point in time of going, yeah, we need an understudy for John. Uh, we don't have that in our budget. John's losing his voice. We don't have it in our budget to cancel a weekend of shows. We need an understudy. Right. It's like, he sounds fine. I go, I know what his voice usually sounds like. He's straining. We need an understudy. He's probably going to lose his voice by Saturday. Let's bring in the vocal coach but I think we're a little too far along. Management fought me. We canceled Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday shows. Wow. Watching the actors make the wrong emotional choice. Uh, there's an amazing moment in a rehearsal hall one time. The actors um, you know, are in that scene and they're carrying around their books in the first part of rehearsal. And the actor reads the stage direction of, here's the line and it says in parentheses, angrily. And he lets it loose. He just unleashes. And this is an actor that, you know, not big time movie star, but to go, oh yeah, like the guy from that movie, that was him. Oh yeah, him. And he turns the page of the script and he suddenly, in a big dramatic rehearsal scene, burst out laughing. Uh -oh. The next stage direction was even angrier than before. And he goes, oh man, that was my 100% already. Let's go back again and let me ramp up into that. <laughs> so by... Watching, and especially the method acting aspect of it, of how they can access true emotion. I mean, they're not pretending to cry. They are accessing something genuine inside of them. 
and genuinely crying in that moment. So being in the presence of that, I would say, you know, this is where, as I teach business influence, the first stage of that is emotional intelligence to not fly off the rails when, as you mentioned, the random salesperson shows up unannounced to maintain my emotional state because my focus is on the client who's in front of me in that moment to feel genuine empathy and concern and love. So that flexibility that the actor learns, while I didn't necessarily go through that training, I'd say, you know, whether it's diffusion or osmosis, whatever scientific term, watching people learn how to do that, watching the performers access the range of their voice and fill an entire space just without a microphone is where I learned the vocal skill to speak as much as I do and, you know, present and teach week-long courses without uh, having to bring in an understudy. So I'd say it was that experience of learning and hanging out with people with such incredible emotional flexibility wow. of recognizing that we are not just the victim of our circumstances. We can create our own realities. Mm, that's powerful. That is powerful. Now, how has hypnosis improved your own personal life? I know it's been a, a way of earning a living, but how mm -hmm. has it improved Jason Lynette personally? Okay, so two things. And let's give a quick uh, crash course in hypnosis for those that it's new to. Uh, first of all, it's not a matter of belief or disbelief. We have incredible neurological brain scans and studies that have completely validated the hypnotic state proven where it occurs within the brain, what's working and what basically the only thing that can prevent someone from going into hypnosis is a misconception, let's say a fear of the process. There's no loss of control. There's no loss of awareness. It's actually about heightening that awareness so that you can better take control of those things that used to seem beyond your control. Uh, a lot of the work that I do uh, nowadays, I, as much as I train people how to do it as practitioners, I teach people in business how to use the language patterns I also now help co-organize the train the trainer program to qualify other practitioners to also now become instructors. The biggest, I bring this up as a bit of the resume to call out the fact that now, and how this is suddenly a new thing is beyond me, that the modern trend is that of evidence-based hypnosis. So it's not the techniques that, oh, I learned this in a class and I thought it was fun. No, here are the methods that we have clinical research that backs up the efficacy of it. Here's a study where in this one study back in 1996, everybody in the study was given a diet plan. Everybody followed it. Half of the people, though, were using hypnosis to reinforce the diet plan. Everybody in the study lost weight, which is really cool. The group using hypnosis to reinforce the diet lost nearly three times the amount of weight. So people would go, yeah, but diets don't work, which if you hear that, they're going to try to sell you something. So careful. <laughs> people say diets don't work. And the reality is, no, sometimes people don't work. And hypnosis helps people work better. There's an example of that. So um, how did it affect me? One would be exactly what I spend most of my time doing today. You know, anyone out there who listens to the podcast, check out the Hypnotic Language Hacks podcast. Every podcast player, it goes out on YouTube as well, where now the passion is that of sharing the language, sharing the influential patterns. We're always influencing, we're always persuading, so we might as well do it effectively and ethically is what I say. So early on, it created this real, this passion towards language, this passion towards specificity. What happens when we take this problem that I have and let it now become that 
problem that I used to have. By letting the language become dissociative and distant, now it's a thing that's not mine. You know, um, I'll censor this because it's slightly crass. I had a client the other week who kept referring to, I just need to get rid of my fat, certain word that starts with an A, involving a body part. And as I said, I'm only going to use this language back because you've already introduced it. But what happens to you as it becomes that fat A word that you used to have to carry around? And she suddenly lit up and goes, oh, it's not mine anymore. I don't have to carry it around anymore. And it created this belief shift that now eating right, moving right became a whole lot easier. Mm -hmm. So the specificity, they say that a picture is worth a thousand words. Let's flip that around. Even just a few words can create thousands of different representations, images, feelings in people's minds and bodies. So to learn exactly what the words we do, that's where I say for people in business, you know your business can change people's lives, but you don't yet have the right words to inspire them to take action. Mm. Let's give you the strategies of ethical influence and positive persuasion to help people move towards that positive mutual goal. I would say on the personal side, I have used self-hypnosis. I have gone to a hypnotist at times over the years just to help get over a little bit of a hump of a problem that I had at the time. I'd say the bigger picture mindset though, and this is the result of seeing thousands of clients over the years and watching their stories unfold, that it's now kind of, I use the metaphor of the spotlight versus the fluorescent light. When we're in a problem, it's as if the spotlight is shining directly on that one thing that we can't fix. But imagine if it's a theatrical environment. Sounds familiar for me, I know, right? But suddenly someone flips on the work lights and the full Walmart-style fluorescent lights turn on. And listen to this phrase. I love this sentence. You start to notice everything it is that you were not yet noticing. How cool is that? (laughs) When you start to notice everything it is that you were not yet noticing, now that massive problem becomes the smallest component of the story. Discipline. Subscribe now. This thing that's been standing in your way and impossible becomes, oh, I just need to do this and I'll take care of it. It it trains us. This is that result for me. It trains us to become that person of action. That again, if something's going to happen, I need to hold myself accountable. I need to hold myself responsible. I need to make the time to make it happen. So I can think of almost to a fault some moments of places where here's a major thing that could have been a challenge, yet the speed at which my brain was able to go, this is challenging, I'm feeling the emotion, but that means I can do this about it, that'll satisfy that issue in the future, and I can take action on this today so I can feel accomplished to be moving towards that outcome. Mm. Okay, I'm over it now. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) So it's trained the speed of efficiency of, you know, we we do have that ability, I call it the power of choice to choose how big of an issue something becomes to us or how that conflict might instead become that smallest component of a stepping stone to get to a much bigger outcome in the future. Mm. Now, speaking about hypnotic language, uh, this is uh, this is one that's off the uh, off the, uh, the the group of questions I sent to you, but uh, and you want me to remove it, I can. Oh, go uh, for it. But here's the here's the thing. Who is someone that's on the national stage that whether it could be a politician, it could be an actor or salesman, but is there someone that's on a national stage where you as a trained hypnotist and a trained communicator where you say, oh, he's got some training. He's 
or either he either he has some training or he is instinctually using all of this language very very well where where you yeah. can see them and be like wow okay i see what you're doing i would say the the sort of intro to this would be that all of these methods were not invented they were discovered by tracking people who were effective at what they did mm-hmm. and in any political climate in any major presentation in world leaders you can look and you can start to unravel their language and go oh that's an example of this that's an example of that uh, I would tell the personal story, though, of someone whose presentations, and mind you, I was inspired by the man, and it took me five years to then finally buy his products. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. To watch his presentations, there was this sense, and he might have been offended by the next two words I'll use. He might have loved it. There was this sense of just pure nerd delight. Right. right. The man was so excited to be out there and and let's call it out it was very clearly a sales presentation right absolutely it was very clearly this marketed event the way that the apple company is rather tight-lipped and look at the culture that they built people were ready to buy the new iphone before they even knew what it was um people just bought the new laptop before they even read the details and specs as to what it was i was waiting for this recent event going i just bought a new laptop from them don't refresh the one i just bought and they didn't and I've been ratified. But this place where the words were important, but even more important was the real emotion to his presentation, mm. as well as the genuine enthusiasm and the, the stacking of expectation. There were certain technologies that I'm not sure if Apple as a major company invented, but they got to be the ones to premiere it. So I'm pretty certain wireless internet was developed somewhere else. Yet there's a moment in the presentation where he's there, the laptop is sitting on like a table and there's a set of theatrics, there's a set of cables that are running toward it. And it was all orchestrated to this moment of, oh, and by the way, the processor's this fast. It now comes with this speed of a hard drive and it comes with these features and the classic Steve Jobs transition. But one more thing, which is an amazing phrase of exciting mental fascination and curiosity. If there is someone whose attention you want to get, if there is someone whose business you want to engage in, if you can invite a state of of fascination and curiosity in their mind, that is the ultimate hook. And he was a master of that. But one more thing, he picked up the laptop. There were no wires. He was still streaming online. Mm -hmm. Uh, The phone has this feature, this feature, and this one, but one more thing. And he hit a button and suddenly the Jetsons came alive. Right, right, right. Or the next iteration of, uh, hey, I'm talking to this woman on my watch. Oh, let's get a screenshot of her. And she's on a kayak out in the middle of the ocean without a phone. So the the ability to stack expectation, the ability to genuinely, you weren't watching a man who was excited. You were experiencing the excitement with him, Mm. which I'll say the next thing, not to discredit what they've now done. But take note, it now takes five people to give those presentations when it used to just be him for an hour and a half. I've noticed. I've noticed. That, that was a gift. The other one, uh, you know, this is where it'd be easy to go the politician or a Tony Robbins character. Uh, I, I want to get into the concept of modeling that unless I called out these stories. So I am channeling in my head that enthusiasm and that excitement if I'm doing a sales presentation and it's the time 
to transition from educating to now offering. Mm. And I'm in my head going, I need to be as excited about this offer as they should be. Otherwise, they're not going to come with me. It's got to be genuine. The other one is a funny one that, uh, of all people, I believe he's Scottish, the comedian Craig Ferguson. Craig Ferguson, okay. Which is exactly where you're expecting me to go, Tony. Um, <laughs> and he, he changed the late night formula. And let's, let's in one sentence draw a line between Craig Ferguson and Maya Angelou, uh, <laughs> whose quote it was, they may not remember what you say, but they remember how they how you made, made you feel, which right. I butchered that briefly. Um, if you watch any of the late night talk show hosts, there's a certain style, and there's even some of them that still to this day are channeling you know, Johnny Carson to do it like Johnny did. Craig Ferguson was the first one who did the entire thing directly to the camera, and the audience was the second point. Mm. And the camera was at an angle, so if he moved forward and backward, he was in the same plane. But it was for the first time ever, it didn't feel like there was a guy addressing an audience. You really felt like he was talking directly to you, right. which I love this because you even you probably heard of techniques of rapport where they teach, oh, use their words, sit like they sit, use their gestures and something about his delivery. And the same is true for seeing Willie Nelson in concert one time. I know these are the exact references one would expect. <laughs> the man did three hours on stage. His band took two breaks. He never left. Into the concert, he sat on the edge of the stage and talked to every person. This is what I took from that. Everyone was coming into a conversation sure. that they had been having with him for years. Sure. This was the first time it was happening in real time, though. And the level of comfort that these people brought to that interaction, again, working in Washington, D.C. in production, we would do political fundraisers, and you would start to figure out why some of these people rose to such fame and power, because the moment they started talking to you, it wasn't because they were using a technique, and I'll say it politely, it's because, and you hear these stories, especially now, the moment they started talking to you, you could feel the sense that they genuinely cared. It wasn't an act. It wasn't a routine. They weren't scanning the room looking for someone more important. Um, I'll leave out the names. And this has happened for me in both Republican, Democratic, Independent, and other, where suddenly here's that person and suddenly you just get it. That's why so many people are drawn to that person. And it's back to, the, again, that emotional intelligence that it's real and it's genuine. It's that one-to-one -one versus the fake one-to-many. It's powerful. Yeah. It's very powerful. Well, at Becoming Discipline, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas spirituality, mental, physical, emotional, finance, calendar, home, data. Can you tell us? Now, I know how I think of you as discipline and what areas where you really, you know, blew my mind away. But can you tell us which of these do you consider your strongest points? What are they again? <laughs> Okay, no problem, no problem. Spirituality, mental, physical, emotional, finance, calendar, home, and home organization, and data organization. Which one your strongest points? Let me use my favorite word, the penultimate one. What was the second to last one? Uh, home organization. Well, I would take just the organization mindset that, you know, there, there are some people, and this is not to put down an entire field, uh, yet there's a level of skill if it's the person who presents, presents themselves as a coach. Here's a purse as a coach consultant who is, you know, really walk the walk, you know, as opposed to just talking it. 
Um, so there are some who can do a uh, three-hour course online, get a piece of paper that says certified life coach, and they'll sit down with you with that sort of life wheel that measures out some of those same intentions. And it starts to become the game of let's just talk through this together. And you're with a person who hasn't made their own breakthroughs and created their own business and you should turn and run to say it politely. Right. Uh, I would say it's that ability. And this is something that I did have to work at. Uh, I would just answer all of that with balance mm. that to recognize when, and, and, and there's a feast and famine routine to this sometimes. Like for example, I'm about to, well, I just launched um, it, it's nothing new. It's a class that I've been teaching for people in business for like six years now. And I saw the opportunity to go, Hey, if I had a podcast, we can bring people into that world with an online course and have an online Facebook community where people can now talk to each other with the common shared knowledge. So that became a bit of a feast and famine schedule where I shut everything off for like five or six weeks to then build that project that's now out there. And it took some effort inside of that where I noticed that, you know, that was a time frame we're all home with the pandemic. But it's where I'd have Facebook Messenger opened and chatting with my wife throughout the day. And I wasn't doing that as much as I normally was. Mm -hmm. uh, I would have, uh, you know, we used to have this sort of game where uh, we'd have the night out where sometimes she and I would go out or I'd go out with my son and she'd go out with the daughter and then we'd switch and just kind of mix it up. And it's a lot of staying at home right now. So it, it's taken a bit of effort to kind of create that balance and, you know, to say it Simply, there's been a few life events with family members that help to kind of rebalance those priorities. So I, I'd say the bigger discipline is that finding that balance of all of those factors. Uh, I, I would throw in a conversation I believe you and I've had together before, which is to embrace the fact that at the end of the day, I think we're all basically talking the same themes. Sure. You know, we, we seem to be an extremely divided world at the moment, but at the end of the day, um, when you strip away the labels and the titles, we're all basically looking towards the same common shared good. So this is where, you know, let's say over the years working with clients that were a different faith or a lack of faith, a different belief system or a lack of that belief system, and that ability to just see people for who they are. And I would say in anything that we do, even if it's business, and this may not be a comfortable phrase for some, but understand it's an internal dialogue. I'm not saying romantic love, but find something to love about that person. Find something, let's use the other words I shared earlier, fascination and curiosity, that rather than go, how could you believe that, which is really easy to do right now, to instead go, what is it within your mind that that belief system is giving you to what result? And we talk about in hypnotic language patterns, the idea of chunking up, which if you ask somebody, hey, what would you like to do for your better health? I'd like to exercise more. We have to chunk down to get into specifics. What would that be for you? And you may ask a few more questions and find out they want to walk on a treadmill in the morning and watch TV. Okay, good. Now we know how to help that person. We know their goals. But to then ask a different question to chunk up, what's that going to give you? I think if we looked at the many different belief systems that are out there and asked the question of what does that give you? What does that create for you? At the end of the day, we all tend to agree. We just have different ways of reaching that same conclusion. So I'd say for me, it's not one specific part of that potential cycle. It's that ability to constantly be monitoring the balance where, for example, um, we're, we're homeschooling. 
this year. Uh, we weren't too happy with the way that the virtual school was going and we just kind of went, let's do it ourselves. But to be fair, it takes a village. Uh, on Tuesdays, I am teaching these two subjects. On Mondays and Thursdays, my wife is teaching those subjects. And then on Wednesdays and Fridays, my mother-in-law is doing this subject. And my father-in-law, who's a college professor, is teaching the kids science by way of online Zoom. And so we've got this massively flexible schedule. And today's the day where my wife goes, hey, the kids are going through the social studies unit on, you know, on um, the founding farmers, founding fathers. That's a restaurant here. <laughs> founding fathers. Um, we went to Waynesburg last year. Let's go to Jamestown. And, and, and it's the ability to go, look at your calendar, tell me what days are fit for you. And I looked at the calendar and went, oh, this Monday is good. She goes, oh, it'd be a much better trip if we could do an overnight stay. Uh, let's go there and then stay the night. And I looked at it and go, well, why don't we just go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday? You know, that way we're not rushing. That way we're already there. We've got enough hotel. This is, this is not a year where I'm excited about air miles and hotel points, but I had them stacked up enough that we booked the trip. Right. <laughs> but it's that balance. It's that willingness to, again, turn off what's working sure. to then leave it behind. Uh, my office phone does not forward to my cell phone. Mm. When my phone is on do not disturb or airplane mode, it stays that way. And sometimes, like you saw with the guy who randomly came in, a quick story that illustrates this, um, I sincerely care about my clients and my students. But when you leave me a voicemail Sunday morning, five of them in a row, by the way, going, I know you're there, pick up, which is not how voicemail works anymore. In my head, I'm going, I'm going to call you back on Tuesday. <laughs> Let me give you some air. Otherwise, I am training you that I'm that responsive. And no, I'm not going to, it's not an emergency. And if yeah. it is, respectfully hang up and dial 911. So it's that ability to create the balance of all of these pieces and recognize, you know, I'll generalize this for personal reasons, but here is a very specific concern that I had at the beginning of the year and realize it was one of those problems that I couldn't change. It was involving health and finances of a family member. Yet then again, what is something I can do? well, we can better save for the future. I can continue to eat right and exercise. Here's what I can actually do about it. So the old phrase of releasing control over those things we cannot change, but taking full control over those things that we can. I, I'd say the, uh, to use my language of this, the superhero skill of it all is to create that balance of turn it on when it's necessary and walk away when it's not. Powerful, powerful. Now, uh, what advice do you have for people who are seeking discipline? What, 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 what piece of advice that we haven't shared already that you would like to share with us? I think you've heard me say this before, so hold back because I think you know where I'm going. But I think the answer is best explained by a story. And it's not a story of mine. It's a story that actually appeared in history. And I have to give a disclaimer that the story begins a little uncomfortably, yet I'll tell you now there's a happy ending and no harm was being done to anyone because it does involve a woman who was kidnapped. Now, no harm was being done to her. She was just being held against her will, which is still absolutely wrong, yet wasn't being abused, wasn't being hurt. And the story follows the stereotype that there was a man who she was in love with who was on a journey to save her. And even though he was known for his strength, even though he was known for his creative abilities, even he couldn't save her. You know, and let's also add in the emphasis that this woman was a princess from a royal family and so much was on the line. 
in terms of rescuing his loved one. And yet whenever it seemed as if he was so close to saving her, he discovered a note that simply read, I'm sorry, the princess is in another castle. Mm. And he was traveling with his brother. The two of them were plumbers, uh, not just regular plumbers, but yes, indeed, Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Where along the journey, Luigi, the green one in that video game, would fall down a hole. And it didn't mean the game was over and you had to stop playing. It meant you got another chance. Or Mario, the red one, the main character in the video game, that took a turn, didn't it? Suddenly ran into a turtle with wings and lost his life, but that's okay. <laughs> you got another chance. And, and the whole, whether you've played video games like this or not, it's about pattern recognition. Mm. It's about learning from our successes and our failures, which, by the way, is also the plot of the amazing movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Right, where right. he has to keep repeating the sequence over and over until he gets all the pieces. What else? Uh, it's the same sequence of Live, Die, Repeat, uh, the Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt movie. That's right. Every video game out there. So it's this mindset of gamifying what you do mm. and recognizing that nothing in life is valid unless we test it for ourselves. Wow. So the willingness at times you know, to look at, let's say it's a personal project. I, I, I have a bit of a human guinea pig aspect to myself to go, hey, here are these people doing this intermittent fasting thing. Let me do that for a while and see what happens. Hey, here are these people doing ketogenic diet. Let me do that for a while and see what happens. Hey, you know what? I learned weightlifting from the sort of less is more mindset. Let me like not even double down, 10X my efforts, train like a bodybuilder and eat to gain muscle and see what happens. Um, hey, here's a new market that I want to go into. Let's find out what their needs are, create a product for them and put it out there. If it works, great. If not, the uh, what's the phrase I learned from the uh, marketing guy, Gary Vaynerchuk? The uh, macro lesson was worth the micro investment. <laughs> I love that as a premise. So everything is about testing, whether it's our health, whether it's even to some degree our relationships, whether it's especially our business, I, I meet too many people for any goal, whether personal, business, financial, whatever it might be, they're stuck in this getting ready phase. Mm. They're stuck in this planning phase. I say, get out there and make something happen. You're going to learn even more along the way. So here I am, and I, I've said for years, I, I basically run three businesses in one industry. I see live clients. I do live programs. I do education online. And in a world where people were promoting, build a six-figure business, I had the positioning of going, well, I've built three of them that run at the same time. And again, Three Ring Circus, we added a fourth ring this year, as if it wasn't enough to do that, to go, hey, let's put out another podcast, let's build another community, and let's now take this thing I've been doing in person for years and now bring people into it online. And along the way, I'll call it out, here are things that we've launched that are very clearly working. And here are others that we're very quickly learning from, to sure. say it politely. So there's a premise in hypnotic communication to tie it all together. There's no failure, there's feedback. Mm. You don't have to believe that to be absolutely true, but if you operate from the premise as if it's true, you become so much more flexible, so much more suggestible, and you begin to learn even faster along the way too. It's powerful, powerful, good stuff here, good stuff. Now, what book do you recommend that helped you on your path? Or uh, regarding the subject of discipline, is there a book that you would like to recommend? I would probably recommend the same one that I mentioned already, uh, Four Hour Work Week. Uh, for someone who is 
there's a premise that I love where people read something and it has a bigger audience beyond what it was intended. Uh, there's a book by Michael Gerber called The E-Myth Revisited. And this at its core is a business book. E-Myth being the entrepreneurial myth that this is where we have to call it out respectfully. Kevin Costner's father is a dirty liar. Uh oh. If we're talking about the movie Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. It's not a complete business strategy. <laughs> you have to build it and then bring people in. So not his real father, the character father. Uh, so the, the whole understanding of, again, putting a message out there, uh, the E-Myth Revisited is the myth that just because you have a trade, just because you have a skill, can you hang up the shingle and say, I've got a business now and expect it to work. It's the truth that this sort of almost therapeutic ego state therapy of parts. We have the entrepreneur, we have the artist, we have the manager, we have the engineer, we have the technician, we have these different roles that we serve. And I've heard people that that was a book that was helpful for me to go, you know what, if I do the accounting, I get into trouble with the IRS. This is going back nine years ago. If I pay someone else, I don't get these surprise letters in the mail with big ugly bills. It's worth it to pay someone else. If I try to build a website on my own, it crashes and falls down. Mm. If I pay someone better than me at that, it looks amazing and it's fast and people engage with that. Mm. And I love this book for the reason that I've met people over the years who go, you know what? I read that book and uh, it changed my relationship. Wow. That we looked at conflicts we were having in the home and places where I was taking on specific roles that I didn't need to. Mm. There were certain responsibilities, places where as parents, we often kind of have to let the kid figure out the lesson for themselves. But this place of recognizing what our role is, that's what, part of the reason where, um, can we go Alan Jackson, uh, Chattahoochee on this one, a lot about living and a little about love. It's a lot about business. <laughs> like I said, the longer we hang out, the more obscure the references get. It, it, yes, it's a business book, but behind the scenes, it's all by the way of telling these metaphorical stories uh, about planning and uh, you know relationships as well. So either of those two, even if business is not your goal, it's going to change your thinking about your health, your fitness, your relationships. Find the con. You started with the conversation of context. Look at the greater context of what it's teaching. Don't get hung up in the content that it's talking about something else. Mm, good stuff. Good stuff. Now, for someone who's seeking to become more disciplined in their life, do you have a product at Virginia Hypnosis that you recommend? So the origin of my business was Virginia Hypnosis, where I work with clients mostly one-to-one. -one. Uh, the majority, which over the years, I love the phrase, two little catchphrases to share with you. One is a personal one. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it the rest of your life. Mm. I was doing amazingly well in the theater career. Yet eventually I got to a place where I wasn't enjoying it, sure. where burnout was imminent. And I'm going, you know what? Here's this hobby. I want to do that instead. Uh, all the way back to vaudeville theater, uh, there was an old quote that the amateur changes their act. The professional changes their audience. Mm -hmm. Which remember back vaudeville, here would be the team of performers. And next week they'd be in another city. Why? Because, and this is where of all people, two names come to mind. David Copperfield, the magician and George Carlin, the comedian. These people, Copperfield had a deal with ABC, I believe it was, where he did a TV special nearly every single year. George Carlin 
had an open contract. Every year or two, he could go on HBO and do a special. And it wasn't just, as George Carlin once said it, it wasn't just so he'd get paid. As he put it, that's so I could burn the material. I had toured with that comedy act and the man was a poet. Look at his writing. Um, even if what he said was massively offensive to many to look at how he would tour for a year. But then once he went on HBO, he couldn't do that act in front of an audience again, which is funny about comedy. You go to, you go to a show who was it? We saw years ago. Um, well, any concert and they don't do that one song. You know, people would be rioting if they saw Billy Joel and he didn't do Piano Man. <laughs> right. Eagles. They didn't do Hotel California. That's why I bought the ticket. Right, so, right. But they were doing that almost not just for the financial, but for the personal reason. So I look at this as the intention where nowadays most people I point to uh, what I'm up to nowadays. Uh, again, if you're a podcast listener, check out Hypnotic Language Hacks where it's not just about teaching you hypnotic methods for business, though I am going to teach you methods for hypnotic influence for business. It's also about working with that emotional mind connection so that now your messaging is congruent with all that you do. I'd also invite everyone out there to check out jasonlinette.com, which you'll love the way that I share this. Uh, it's one N, two Ts, no extra letters at the end, Jason, and then L-I-N-E-T-T, -T, but don't worry too much about the spelling. I own all the misspellings and they point to the right place. Awesome, awesome. Best 80 bucks I spend a year. But I'd encourage you, head over to that site and look at the tab at the top that says Business Influence Systems. There's a big purple button on that page. Click that. That'll give you access to like only a 20-minute video where I'm going to walk you through a, a very simple method of communication, which you can use in any part of life. And for those that want to go further, they'll see exactly how to do that or anyone else make use of what I've shared. But I tend to say that's the best place to get in contact with me and learn even more. Okay. Now, if we run into a hypnotist at a social gathering, yeah. Okay. what is the stupid question that we can avoid asking that annoys all hypnotists like yourself? <laughs> <laughs> um, see, this is where... Again, I have to edit the answer because the, the typical stuff that people would ask about, are you going to make me bark like a dog or cluck like a chicken? Um, for me, let's sidebar the story. I did a magic of reading show for kids at Bush Gardens Williamsburg for like five months. And as soon as we launched the thing, one of the veterans at the park, someone who's done entertainment there for years, walks over in a bit of a huff and goes, you're doing the new thing, right? Yeah. Can I give you a tip? What? Don't count your shows. Oh, what? Why? He goes, it will kill your soul. <laughs> and, and the reason why, and of course, because he said that I counted my shows, I did the exact same 20-minute presentation like 430 times that summer. Wow. And the reason why it was genuine with every single audience was because it was never about the act. It was never about the tricks. It was always about the communication with the audience. The same as I said of Greg Ferguson, the same as I said of Steve Jobs, the same as I've said of these people who are creating a relationship with their audience. Um, so this is where I could nerd out on some of the specifics, um, but this is where ask them, what's the user experience for your client? What's the process? What's the overarching story of why you work with them? That's where you're gonna find a fascinating conversation. I've already given you the science and the research around it. It's a taking back of control. I'll give you my version of this, which is that, that it's not about your problem. 
The problem is not who you are. We would say in hypnotic language patterns, the map is not the territory. The map is only a representation. In, in this country, in the US, a lot of us have been staring at a picture of a map for the last two or three weeks. But that map is just a map with a bunch of colors on it. What needs to be focused on are the millions of people who wake up and have concerns just like you. So the, the idea of asking someone, what's the sort of overarching story that you want the client to leave with? That for me, it's not about the problem that they've let go of. It's about the thing that they've let go of now becoming the catalyst to do something bigger and greater with their life. That's wonderful. You're going to have a much That's more wonderful. fascinating conversation that way. That is wonderful. Jason, we just want to thank you for coming on and uh, you have been an amazing guest and you're an, you're just an, you're a, you're a treasure here in Virginia. And my court, my, my, my last thing I wanted to share with you, do you have any closing thoughts, Jason? We thank you for coming on. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience here at Becoming Discipline? I put it together in a simple three tag phrase, change your words, change your business, change your life for every reason you think you can't do something that could also be every reason why you absolutely can. So make it happen. Well, thank you again, Jason. And we will remember that. That is definitely a golden nugget that we will post. And we're going to post your book and, and all of your other products in the show notes. And we just thank you for coming on. Hey, it's been awesome seeing you again. All right. Thank you again. Change your words. Change your business. Change your life. Jason is a personification of mental discipline. We thank him for coming on. And we thank you for tuning in. And hopefully something was said here today to help you on your journey of becoming disciplined.